Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Next Level. I'm JVL here with my best friend, Tim Miller. And sitting in for my other best friend, Sarah Longwell, today is our very, very close friend and confidant, my partner from another one of the shows I do, A.B. Stoddard. A.B., welcome. Happy pre-Mardi Gras. Tim, don't shake your beads. Before we get going, if you are going to be in the D.C. area, not next week, but the week after, we are going to be at a conference called Principles First. It's from February 23 to 25. This is the third or fourth year they've done it, I think, and it's it's going to be a very, very big crowd this time around. There's going to be a happy hour for Bulwark people on Friday. Asa Hutchinson's going to be there, Adam Kinzinger, George Conway, Judge Ludig, Alyssa Farah, um, all the Bulwark people will be there. I will put in a special appearance. I will not be at the happy hour. That's too much socializing for me. I'm sorry. I, I did that once last year, and that was that was enough to get me through the next decade, or at least the next presidential term. Okay, guys, very, very big news week already. Let's start in Nevada, where Nikki Haley got doubled up by none of the above. And on the one hand, people may say, hey, this doesn't matter. There were no delegates at stake, and Nikki didn't actually even play in Nevada. And what does it matter? She's on to South Carolina and beyond. And I say, this seems to me like a pretty good, pure polling exercise with 80,000 Republicans involved. And uh, when offered the choice not between Trump and Nikki Haley, but between none of the above and Nikki Haley, none of the above basically being Trump. They chose they chose none of the above, meaning Trump, by two to one. Tim, early in this contest, we had a lot of philosophizing about what are the exact percentages of the always Trump and the maybe Trump and then the never Trump. I think we can pretty firmly say that the always Trump portion of the Republican Party is somewhere between 55 and 65 percent. <laughs> Is that, <laughs> it's is at that least wrong? it's at least forty eight and a half. I mean, it's a strong forty eight. I, I have a practical question. I mean, this is just me, kind of as as a political hand. Uh, I was thinking about this last night. When you lose a campaign to none of the above, uh, who who do you call? Like, who do you concede to? Like, when you prepare your concession speech, is that do you just kind of get on the phone to nobody? Or do you call the Secretary of State and congratulate them? No, she's going to be declared the victor. Maybe what you do is celebrate your victory over Mike Pence. Mike Pence was also on the ballot, and Nikki crushed him. So maybe what she does is declare, I'm the winner. Of all the people who are live human beings, I won this primary. You guys, she technically is the victor in that primary, and that's why Trump said she's probably going to come out and declare victory, because when you're second to none above, you get to be the official winner. Wait, she's literally second to none. <laughs> I do want to just kind of have a quick fact check on that. I, I had to pull this up. Mike Pence was actually closer to Nikki than Nikki was to none of the above. <laughs> um, uh, only a 26-point defeat over Mike Pence. Uh, 63 with none of the above. Yeah, I mean, there was a good focus group about just the absurdity of this with John Ralston and Sarah that's kind of worth listening to for the yucks. Uh, but... On the one hand, it doesn't matter. On the other hand, it just confirms what we know, right? Which is like, like this party does not want her. They're not interested in her. If Donald Trump got the cheeseburger from heaven or if he disappeared from the face of the earth for some reason, they wouldn't turn to her, 
and I, it is hard for I think some people to just like accept that reality about the state of play. But this is just another data point in support of it. Ab, is this a they don't want Nikki, or is this they will only accept Trump? I mean, I see it more as a it's not about Nikki at all. Is that they will accept nothing but Trump? Trump is going to win the Nevada caucuses on Thursday, and some people decided that this scheme to embarrass her was worth their time yesterday. So they voted in the primary to vote for Trump, which is none of the above. I mean, it's a cult. They took their time out of their day to go do that, which is really weird. But it is true that she is not the runner up. This is not a situation where, you know, in 2016, it would have gone to Ted Cruz if Donald Trump had had a fatal cheeseburger. So this is but I don't even know why we're talking about it. She's not in it, you guys, to win the nomination or to be the runner-up. She's now crapping on him. She knows she's not going to win South Carolina. I think it's great. I want her to stay in. She's going to never mention what happened in Nevada. Her team said, like you said, we weren't even playing there. You know, it wasn't a factor. So she's like stirring my hopes, like Sarah Longwell, that she's going to do something good at the end. Probably not great, but she doesn't sound like someone in the last few days with her last few ads that sh- who's going to endorse Trump. So I think that's our focus, right? She's This is a PR stunt for her, and it's a feel-good thing. She's having a good time, but it's not about her, like, racking up delegates. I mean, that's a joke. Why she keeps getting money for this is kind of interesting. It is a good question, and I wrote about this this morning. What is yeah. being used? All this money is just useless. It's just being burned. How about this for just an example? Nevada, I don't have this quick fact at my hands, but I'm trying. I'm going by congressional districts. It's not like Nevada has meaningfully more people than Iowa. Nikki Haley, who didn't campaign in Nevada, got the same amount of votes that she did in Iowa. There's a rump faction. She got 21,000 votes in this Nevada, whatever you want to call it, primary last night. She got 21,000 in the Iowa caucus, exactly the same. So like, there's a rump faction of the party that wants this, but like everything that that has been spent, you know, as, I, as I wrote this morning, $225 million between Haley, Scott, and DeSantis. And their super PACs alone, their campaigns also spent money. But all this big donor money, $225 million, much of it went to Iowa for no purpose. Like, they don't win over anybody, and this speaks to the cult point. They didn't try to win over anybody. <laughs> and so since they didn't try to win over anybody, they didn't succeed at winning over anybody. And so they just burned hundreds of millions of dollars in a pyre for absolutely no reason to no result. And as we saw last night in Nevada, Nikki Haley could have literally done nothing and probably ended up in the same position where she's been, about one-fifth of the party. This is the key part, I think. And when you look, so all of these states used to be very different. Yeah. We used to look at the states and say, the demographics of Iowa are good for Senator Smith and the demographics of South Carolina are good for Governor Jones. And so we would expect them to play differently. And that has all been flattened within the Republican Party. Those distinctions no longer matter. And throughout the Republican electorate, the races are essentially nationalized. And this has been clear for coming on several months, at least a year, looking at it. And look at the polling for South Carolina, the polling for Michigan, and the polling for California. It's all the same. It's between 55 and 65% Trump. And this is how it has been since Iowa. Somewhere between 55 and 65% of Republicans everywhere in these United States of America 
just want Trump. They don't want anything else. They don't want DeSantis. They don't want Nikki Haley. It doesn't matter who you put up. I feel like this is a weirdly, we've just sort of glossed past the reality that this is going to be the third time in a row the Republican Party has nominated the same guy. There is no modern precedent for this. This does not happen. To quote JBL, this is not what normal parties do. It isn't what normal parties do. Well, it is kind of what normal parties do in like Bolivia. <laughs> you guys, haven't we known for months that he had 60% and they were never going to touch him, whether they spent that advertising money or not? We have We've strongly that. suspected that, it. So our friend, friend of the bulwark, Wood Ayers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So friend of the bulwark, Wood Ayers, who was on, I, and I love Wit. I disagree with him all the time. And so I feel weird about it, but, but I really do like him. And I think he's very smart. And the only reason I engage is because I admire him. But he has been saying for, for months now that they were, you know, the actually, when you put the maybe Trump and never Trump part of the caucus together, that's a flat majority of the Republican Party. And the always Trump is is really just a, it's between 35 and 40 percent. And, and I just don't think that's true. I think the people in the party who want Trump and nothing but Trump is, again, somewhere between 55 and 65 percent. And the total of never Trump and maybe Trump is about 30 percent. It's also just like a, a logic puzzle that you can't get out of, like when you just start talking to these people, right, where it's like, maybe it's true that there's a maybe Trump faction that could have gotten Trump under 50, right? But you can't attack Trump because that will just thrust them into Trump's arms. You can't not attack Trump because then you're not running a campaign against him. You can't say that Trump is lying because then they'll get mad at you. You can't say that Trump's telling the truth because then you're just pushing them into Trump. Right? Like, so maybe there is a maybe Trump faction, but the, there's no way to actually get them. Right? And, and anytime anybody suggests that maybe the right way to persuade them is to remind them that they're being conned by like a decades-long con man who screwed people over and who's lied about everything and who actually lost the election and didn't build the wall and, you know, had a fake university, right? If you mention any of that, then they're just going to get mad at you and say your elitist is condescending and looking down on them and so that's going to force them to vote for Trump, <laughs> right? So it's like, so for all practical purposes, if there's no strategy that can be employed to, to win over the maybe Trump people without thrusting them into Trump's arms, then they're really just indistinguishable from the Trump people, always Trump people. Well, it's revealed preferences, right? The only reason we think there are maybe Trump people is because in in surveys, people will say, well, I don't know, uh, you know. But then when you when you push them and actually ask them to reveal their preferences, you get always Trump. So they're lying. Yeah. They're lying. Or they don't know themselves. A lot of people sending $25 to Nikki right now who still believe that she's going to prevail somewhere, who are not listening to us right now, are never going to vote for Trump. But there may be Trumpers supporting her right now with significant dollars. And they're telling themselves, he's a scoundrel. This is, I've had it. This is the last time. Look at what's happening with Ukraine and, and up on the Hill. This is a mess. The Republican Party that I knew, blah, 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 blah. It's only February 7th. By May 7th, they'll be completely on board and they won't remember February 7th. Yes. Yes. Hopefully some of them won't. So, right. So we're, we're hoping that... <laughs> that a minority of the minority. That, 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 so we're hoping that there's this um, segment of Never Trump that's going to hold. We want them to vote for Biden instead of staying home. Then there's a maybe Trump segment we hope is like right now pro, like everything Nikki's saying is like so satisfying and like make, you know, 
make America normal and we need rationality and we need someone who's in their 50s and, and like, this is so great and I've had it. And we hope that they, you know, read what these three judges wrote about what it means to empower a president to basically negate elections and not pay price, you know, all, all of that, right? And, and maybe we hope that maybe Trump faction, the part of it is going to harden. And we have no handle on what the percentage is to combine never Trump with the people who will say, you know what, I was for Nikki and she's no longer an option, but I can't deal with this guy. He, he's gone. He's, he's gone over the edge. I don't know what takes someone in 2024 over the edge with Trump that wasn't over the edge with him before. But I'm hoping it's a significant margin. That's the big question. Rana, Rona, Rona, Romney McDaniel has been pushed out of the RNC. I'm hoping that you can explain this to me, A.B., because this is a woman who is so compromised and so slavishly devoted to Trump that she jettisoned her family name. <laughs> she essentially changed her name in public to please him. And he has decided she's got to go. And she seems to be shocked that the leopards are eating her face. Why did he decide this? I mean, it does seem like he and his team have decided that they really need to fully own the RNC and then the state level parties at every level. Why is that? What? Why did they make this decision? So they already own the state parties at every level. And, you know, they own they've controlled the RNC for years. But it's an easy punching bag right now, right? So even though she wasn't face-fronting, stop-the-steal, election denier, they are proposing a guy who is, this guy from North Carolina. So they're like, this is better because election integrity is really important and it's going to be a big part of the campaign. And she just wasn't taking it seriously enough. And then you get to beat up on, the, on Rana for like, not raising enough money and the Democrats have too much money and that's a bad thing. And, oh, well, we need more money since his legal fees are so expensive and so much of the money is going there that someone has to you know, be blamed for the fact that he's so toxic. They're having trouble raising money and, and all of it's going to his legal fees. So, so she's sort of an easy punching bag. And then, you know, the people like Charlie Kirk and, you know, Vivek have been saying all along, like everything's her fault. So, she takes it, but her sort of pretending to be neutral on TV thing masks the fact that she rigged it from day one for Trump and they've controlled the RNC from, from 2020 on. And, and that, that moment happened when he threatened on Air Force One, leaving Washington as becoming an ex-president in mid-flight as he threatened to leave the Republican Party. He's controlled the RNC since that moment, January 20th of 2021. And all the donors know that. So, and then it's not like the new person will do any better, but they can they can say, this is why Ron has to go. And she's so lovely. And they met at Mar-a-Lago on Monday where they had this nice family conversation where he wished her well and said she was awesome and she looks great on the Ozempic. And it's all just one big happy family. But <laughs> they get to say, she wasn't really taking the election integrity seriously enough. And it really has to be one of our major platforms. We have to invent 
this many resources into it. And she was only putting this many resources into it. It's very Soviet. Like the only thing that's missing from the <laughs> yes. Soviet element of it is like getting put, it was like Ron would have got pushed out the window if it was really <laughs> Soviet Russia. But like everything else about it, you know, it's like we, we've put Karamazov, you know, in charge of like the party and people are not happy and people are not happy with the party, you know? And so it's like, Comrade uh, David whatever. Off take over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, oh, and, and then, and then it's very easy then to undermine Karamazov because like, well, Karamazov wasn't quite loyal enough to the party and he wasn't effective enough for the party. And so, you know, so we have Vivekov, you know, or whatever, Charlie Kirkhoff over here. It's like, well, uh, someone else could do much better and they have to get rid of them. It has nothing to do with actual results. I mean, if, if Rana had been judged based on her results, she would have been gone like a half decade ago. <laughs> exactly. I and mean, she hasn't won anything. And it's crazy to think that she lasted as long as she had. It's the longest losing streak of any party committee chairman ever just because no party committee chairman would ever stay in after losing three straight elections you know two and a half however you want to describe 2022 so like the track record is terrible the fundraising is terrible the pr is terrible the only reason she was in there in the first place was loyalty to trump and so there's always a, a weakness to that in a you know, in an authoritarian regime, which is there can always be somebody that's more loyal, that, that positions themselves as more loyal or more crazy or more dedicated. I do have to admit to one other thing related to this topic, if you guys don't mind. I need you guys to check me on this because every once in a while I'm just starting to chuckle at Matt Gates a little bit. Every once in a while Matt Gates does oh, something yeah. and I just enjoy it a little bit. And I don't want to. I know I shouldn't. But the way that which he castrated Kevin McCarthy <laughs> and then just keeps doing it, like just will not let it go, is is pretty good. Did you see his tweet? He goes, he full, oh, I fully I endorse it. Kevin McCarthy for RNC chair. <laughs> Kevin is well organized. He will also be well liked by the RNC committee. The RNC chair doesn't make any policy decisions setting any agenda or negotiate with Democrats ever, so Kevin would be terrific. I mean, it's just like, I own you, and now you used to be Speaker of the House, and now I want to give you this little office over at the party committee and just kind of pat you on your back, little guy. It was pretty pretty amusing. I don't, I don't know that Kevin's going to want that job. It sounds like Trump wants this guy from North Carolina who argued, also in a very Soviet manner, that Trump won North Carolina because of the precautions they took against the thieves. Yeah. Right? In North Carolina, sure. you know, they, he was on the ball. The party chairman of North Carolina made sure that the bamboo ballots weren't coming in from China <laughs> and that, you know, there, there were no mules in Raleigh. And, uh, and they so had shamans that- <laughs> positioned around the border to stop the ghost of Hugo Chavez. <laughs> so they, uh, yeah, they did a great job. Uh, it's an amazing thing on the gates question i did wonder unless it's a fetish right and maybe maybe matt gates just needs to do it oh he needs to do it ah i can't stop myself there is a little why are you going and driving back over the guy you ran over like why have he's raising her hand go ahead this is all about his ethics investigation if you've been listening to kevin mccarthy you would know that and that's why he started the campaign to, to get to get rid of him. And the ethics investigation is opened back up and it's very serious and it's a big um, problem for him. And because he has to do it because Matt Gates is his own power base now. And Kevin is going out and trying to primary everybody in the crazy eight. 
who took him down ultimately. But I would like to just, you know, you know me, Kevin McCarthy's best friend. I do want to read a hilarious tweet from Congressman Massey. Our friend Tom Massey's a little Mm. upset. This is last night after a debacle in the House of Representatives for the majority. Getting rid of Speaker McCarthy has officially turned into an unmitigated disaster. All work on separate spending bills has ceased. Spending reductions have been traded for spending increases. Warrantless spying has been temporarily extended. Our majority has shrunk. So so Tom Massey wanted to send something out to counter uh, Matt Gates on behalf of Kevin McCarthy, which is a little amusing. They're just like little green shoots of clarity from some uh-huh. of the crazies. Like Chip Roy yesterday yes. was on the floor saying like, Actually, this talking point that the president can just close the border, uh, it's not really true. And you know how I know it's true? Donald Trump was president for four years and the border wasn't closed. So (laughs) maybe we do need to change a couple laws, actually, if we want to take care of this. It's like, whoa, Chip Roy speaking like an accidental truth spoken on the House floor. But him and Massey. There there are a few of them telling the truth in the last couple of days. I've counted five people, which is like a good number. I didn't notice any of them shaming McCarthy. It, it is still clubby. I was amused by the talking point going around. So when they, they didn't, we haven't actually got into this yet. So they, they failed to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas yesterday. I'm going to do your job, JVL, and just take a, a, a brief ahead. hosting role yeah. here. They failed. Impeach him for what? Was it for <laughs> aiding and abetting an invasion? Was, was that the? Uh, yes, yes. yes. He, was, okay. he, was, he was, as Gates described it, Mayorkas was intentionally allowing the invasion to happen. Invasion. Right. Yeah, the invasion. invasion, Yeah. Uh, Which is the word they like to use now. Yeah, and it was intentional, right? It's not an accident. It's not just bad policy. It's not a mistake. This is what they want. It's all part of the plan. Great replacement. So that was (laughs) Benedict Arnold, right? That's what this is. This (laughs) is, yeah. It it has to be Benedict Arnold because otherwise it's not a high crime misdemeanor. And when we had not successfully impeached a cabinet secretary since the 1860s, and that guy was like, you know, it was just a straight corruption scheme, kind of a military contracting corruption scheme uh, in the Ulysses S. Grant administration. So this was the first attempt to impeach somebody since then. They needed to come up with something. Um, and uh, it fails. Uh, good on Ken Buck, uh, Mike Gallagher, and Tom McClintock for being the three Republicans yeah, no, to— really, and really good on them. Really good on them to yeah. say, this is crazy. Like, we're not going to do this. Like, you need to give us a reason. That said, even with those three defections— the Republicans would have impeached him with one more vote. And Steve Scalise is out with cancer. And so that left two options. One was George Santos, who got expelled. And one is Kevin McCarthy, who quit. Oops. I thought it was interesting last night that Anna Paulina Luna and others were out there tweeting, I wish we had kept Santos so we could have done this. And it was like nobody's out there saying, like, maybe Kevin McCarthy shouldn't have quit. Gates said that. Oh, did Gates also say Gates that? Gates runs him out of the speakership and then is mad that he re- he said, we, he said last night on one of those weird podcasts he shows up on, he said, we could have used his vote tonight, but of course he scrambled out of town. Like, but isn't Gates so right about nice. that, though? I'm sorry to defend Matt Gates for the second time on this podcast, but like, <laughs> if you're there, if you're in Congress and you're elected, he wasn't elected to be speaker. He was elected to represent Bakersfield. And, and when he got kicked out of the speakership, the people of Bakersfield still needed a representative. No, he. You just How are they quit? supposed to defend themselves against the invasion <laughs> if he's not there to be their voice? Uh, I like yeah. the George Santos tweet where he was like, "Miss me yet?" That was that was great. <laughs> Before we go on and talk more about this, let's do a quick word from our sponsors, Tim. Our sponsor is Z Bionics. If you're watching on YouTube, you might notice that I have come to this podcast straight from 
my child's Mardi Gras celebration at school. You get Mardi Gras week off in New Orleans. And so I'm going to be parenting and podcasting and partying. And so let me tell you, if there's a surefire way to wake up feeling fresh after a night of drinking, it is with Z-Biotics. Z-Biotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct and not dehydration that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics pre-alcohol your first drink of the night. Drink responsibly and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Or in my case, make it maybe the first drink of your early afternoon at your Mardi Gras parade. We also have Super Bowl Sunday right around the corner. Because of Zbiotics, I am confident that I will be able to enjoy the game and whatever parade is that day, the Bacchus Parade, and still be able to host a podcast Monday morning because I'm going to be doing that. So go to zbiotics.com slash next level to get 15% off your first order when you use next level at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com slash next level and use the code next level at checkout for 15% off. Thank you, Zbiotics, for sponsoring this episode and our good times. I am sure that there is some amount of money which would persuade me to go to Mardi Gras. Mm. But I have a hard time figuring out what that amount is. It's like if somebody decided I'm going to design an event specifically to repel JVL. <laughs> it might that be Mardi Gras. Be, um, Mardi can Gras. I tell you, I have one quick Mardi Gras pro tip for our listeners. Something that I just learned as a longtime Louisiana lover, somebody that visited Louisiana a lot. I did not really realize this. The locals have a locals pre-Mardi Gras, the weekend before. So there's some parades. They aren't as big as Rex and Bacchus, the ones you know, but there's parades that are pretty big, and it's the weekend prior. It's a lot chiller. And so if you have like an 8-year-old or a 7-year-old that just likes free stuff and you're looking for an excuse to come to New Orleans, this is the cheat code. You go the weekend before Mardi Gras, you get all the parades, they throw you beads, they throw you toys, it's a perfect childhood environment. You can stand there as a grown-up and have a couple of IPAs and enjoy a beautiful, swampy Louisiana February. Still, no, still that doesn't appeal to you, JBL? All right, still not well, doing maybe something for the listeners. So why did the Republicans try to impeach this Homeland Security Secretary? It's because they couldn't impeach Biden, right? Because they had to impeach somebody. And they had to impeach somebody because Trump is demanding it. Yes. So why the whole thing, why did they not pass? Everything is about Trump. I know that people are like, oh, the board, you have TDS. No, it's all about Trump. Why did they not pass this immigration deal with immigration and Taiwan and Israel and Ukraine funding? Why did they not pass it? Trump. Simple. Trump is the reason they didn't pass it because Trump doesn't want him to because he wants gas on the border. Why did they try to impeach Mayorkas? Trump. Why are they investigating Hunter Biden? Trump. Everything is Trump. That is their reason to etra. It's why they're existing. It's why it is the reason for everything that they do. Because he needs talking points for the election. He needs for his little ego, you know, to kind of balance things out and say, I'm not the only one they're investigating. They're investigating the other guys too. They, they got impeached too. Mayorkas. It's all the same. Mayorkas all the same. also got impeached. Right? Like that's that's the whole point of all this. But they the funny thing is there is that 
when you have this Soviet Bolivian party, like you're not that, you're, you know, I don't know if you watch the Chernobyl show, you're also not that effective. So they can't even do it. Right. Like it's, like, it's kind of hilarious to me. Like, like it's one thing to say we can't do the policy because, you know, there are a handful of people left in the Republican conference that have certain policy beliefs that they're not going to sacrifice. Not that many, but enough. But not only can they not do the policy, they can't even do the kayfabe. Like, they're not even confident enough to do that. But they have to try it. This is the weird thing, right? They had to try and fail on this because not trying would have been unacceptable to the Orange God King, right? Stalin needed them to make it to charge against uh, the position that they couldn't take so that they could prove their loyalty. And it's a crazy thing. A.B., Mitch McConnell said that the aid to Ukraine was like the single most important thing that America could do, has now been presented the opportunity to send aid to Ukraine and get everything he's ever wanted on immigration reform. And he has come out against the bill that his own conference negotiator designed. <laughs> Talk to me about this. He's come out against the bill that he designated Langford negotiate and lead and, and be the, the target for. Langford literally agreed to ruin his career over this. He's going to make it to 2028, but he will be primaried for this. Did he realize that? That's a, a serious question. I'm curious. What that you think I read that. the Did New York he... Times piece and, and he was quite open. He said when, when people come back around every once in a while, you know, in between the decades and <laughs> negotiate reforms for immigration, they forget what happened to the people before. Some quote like that is really interesting. But he's a sanguine, spiritual man who is, well, I don't know, was we're like ready to take the hit. So he took it. So it was McConnell who asked him to do it. And I know that McConnell doesn't read the bulwark and I'm tired of writing about him, but if he'd read the last two things I wrote about him, he could have known that they were going to come for his job mid-cycle and not wait for the election. And that even if I had said if Biden won, he would still lose his job. So Ted Cruz, the reason that he, he fought for this package for like three hours, and then he basically told everyone like, oh no, okay, we're going to vote against it. And the only reason he did that was so that he could say, I was still being your leader and protecting you guys from tough votes because he still thinks he's going to be leader, even though Ted Cruz and Mike Lee and other people are saying it's time for new leadership. So the Federalist and all these people are coming after McConnell and they're fueling all these guys, his opponents. Yeah. Is there a tiny chance he makes it to November? Yes, but it's not it's not a certainty. And he just did that. Instead of fighting to the finish and going down in flames and saying, you guys can vote against it, but I'm going to go to the floor and vote for it because it's the right thing to do. He said, I've changed my mind. Let's all vote against it because he's pretending that he's still their leader and putting that first. It's, it, it's so much more pathetic than I could have understood when I woke up on Monday morning of this week. I, I just find it deeply depressing. He miscalculated the politics. I, he also manages to still miscalculate where his own party is on policy. I just I think this is important. So like, and how do I know this? So Josh Holmes was among his closest advisors. He's another podcast. Uh, everybody's a podcaster now. And uh, over the past week, as some of the opposition to this came out, things got a little heated on the right, and uh, like especially based on something that he said on his podcast about Mike Lee, about how these guys are just fine helping Hamas. I don't know the exact quote in front of you, but it was something like he he thought that he could use the 2000 to 2012 era attack on these guys. Be like, you guys are giving aid and comfort to Michael Moore. You know, you guys are, are 
who is the lady that used to protest outside Crawford? Cindy Sheehan. Cindy Sheehan. Oh. It's like you guys. It's like you Deep guys are pull. nice Deep pull. pull. Now you guys are Cindy Sheehan Republicans. You're just out there to help Hamas, and it's like actually the voters don't. This doesn't work. The Republican voters don't care about this. Republican voters care about Israel is dwindling by the week, actually. Um, and and like the idea that you're going to be able to bully these guys by calling them weak need Putin and Hamas lovers, like just shows you that like Mitch McConnell and his people don't understand what happened. Like it's over. Like that part is over. There, there's that faction within the party. It's not like those people don't exist or disappeared, but but they're a minority of the party, and the people with the power and the people that are ascendant are happy. I would be happy to fuck over Israel and Ukraine, and Ukraine in particular. Obviously, they'd be happy to, but they would be sanguine about fucking over Israel if it meant political power, if it meant Trump, if it meant stricter border policies. Like, that's what those are the things that Trump, border, anti immigrant culture war, like that is those are the motivating factors, not this other, you know, strong defense stuff. And so they just totally misplayed this. Like they, I think that they figured that Israel would also be something that they could use. Like that we'd have some border stuff, we did some Israel, and that's how we'll get people on board who secretly want to vote for Ukraine but can't do it. But it's like these guys, most of these senators are just happy to, to flip it. And you can see the frustration on the faces of the handful that are left that thought Scamba could work. The Langfords, the Tillises, the Todd Young, right? When they give their interviews, you can see how flummoxed they are because I think that they still thought that they could do the two-step. And it, it isn't it's, – it's over. The party's over. Do they still care about immigra- stricter immigration policies? Because I don't, I don't think they care. Uh, Who's that? They, they weren't kind of the re- Republican voters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why they have to create this this sham. This is why you see them all scrambling. Like this wouldn't make it that hard. It's like you know they'd still let a million people in through the border. It still has the five thousand. That's what they have to misdescribe it about how they're letting in five thousand people a day. They don't say that it was really for only seven days. Then you can shut down the border. But you know then you extrapolate that out to one point four million. And and really Joe Biden could just shut down the border by himself. Do they care that much? Do they care as much as they care about the cult of Trump and lib owning? No. But I think that there's a, like some. I do think that there's some genuine you know border xenophobic feeling. Yeah, that's JVL, like you laid out yesterday. I mean, that's why they're lying about it. And that's what they call the Biden border bailout, because they have to pretend that it does all these things it doesn't do. And in Lankford is really, God love him, even yesterday when it was completely over, was still going on TV and making the case that if Republicans are going to stand around telling American people that it's not only a, a, a chaotic, but it's a national security threat that new masses of non-Spanish speaking people are coming over our border, many of them Chinese, and that is a different new threat. And if Republicans are gonna say that to the, to the electorate, then they, they really have no excuse for not trying to repair it. And I don't know if he'll be out there saying it today, but I mean, that, that's what's, it, it's, so, it's so amazing that he's literally standing there trying to call people out in his own party and, tr- and call Trump out about things that are being said about the bill that aren't true. I mean, again, I, I don't even know if he's going to be able to, to go to the caucus lunches, you know, for the rest of the year. But he's so, he's trying to make it hard on, on his colleagues in a way that Mitch McConnell won't. I will ask the question that I ask like every third week on this show. Why are these people not Democrats? Why, why is Mitt Romney still a Republican? Why is Lankford still a Republican? Why don't they just say, hey, 
This is the thing that I care about more than anything else in the world. I was willing to end my career over this. And the Democratic Party is willing to do it. And the Republican Party is not. Therefore, I guess I'm a Democrat. Who knew? And you switch the, the switch the party ID and then come out of the DNC and endorse Joe Biden. What is stopping? I don't understand these people who, I'm sorry, your, your Republican voters, if you were Mitt Romney and James Langford, they hate you. They would kill you, some of them, if they had the chance. No. And Democrats wouldn't. So you are you are a Democrat. I am okay. sorry. JBL, that's I'm sorry. Not, Just, you're that's a Democrat. That's not fair. That's not fair. Mitt Romney pays. Is it five thousand dollars a day for security? He yeah, can, not for Democrats. He's not. He's not no, afraid no, but, of Democratic but, but voters but coming he, after him. If he did that, he could afford it. But Jim Langford has to go home to Oklahoma, and you just described how much they hate them and like threaten their lives. So he can't become a Democrat and live in Oklahoma and like be in his family and be in his neighborhood. Move. He could do the Angus King thing. I don't. I, I don't. James Langford is not a Democrat. James Langford is a is like York a really City. conservative. James Langford, you will be happy in New York City. It's a beautiful place. I'll take you to see a show. And by we'll the way, probably, Hades Town probably where he's going to move actually afterwards. Okay, um, because you know it's not like he wants to be in Stillwater. I guess Stillwater's a college town, but uh, uh, you know somewhere in Oklahoma where it's it's all MAGA. Um, James Langford's still extremely conservative. Now, I get you're right. On this issue, he's going to have more Democrats willing to vote with him significantly than Republicans. So that is a data point you should consider. Uh, I think what you're asking is probably too much. But I, I, I don't think it's a fantasy to do the independent caucus thing. Angus King does this. You know what I mean? It's like nobody's like, oh, it's crazy to think that Angus King is running as an independent. Angus King is an independent. Like, I don't understand why they couldn't do that to to change the balance of power a little bit, but it still probably wouldn't be enough. I've had that fantasy for years. You'd have to have a real independent caucus and not have people who just caucus with their own party like Angus King does. That's true. He can call himself an independent all day long, but he, you know, he's he votes for Schumer. So, you know, my fantasy is you just you only need three or four of them. But they'd have to literally never go to the lunches, never align with themselves with the parties, and deny Schumer or McConnell a majority ever. And they why do they want to go to the lunches? What is so great about having lunch with other human beings? <laughs> the Who food is not could not that. be that good. It's like lukewarm Chick Fil A is what they're serving at Republican Sit lunches. Sit in most your of office and have lunch by yourself. Read a book. Nothing's better than that. I don't understand it. All right. The yesterday, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals unanimously ruled that Donald Trump can be held accountable for criming. That's nice. The Supreme Court may uphold this. It seems likely they'll uphold it. Do either of you have any thoughts on this or should we just acknowledge that it is a thing that happened and that it just continues to push people into the arms of Donald Trump? I have so many thoughts on this, but I'll right. make them brief. No, no, please go. I don't have a lot to say on this one. So I'm going to mute my mic and start doing my pre-Mardi Gras prep. I was so struck by this quote. We cannot accept former President Trump's claim that a president has unbounded authority to commit crimes that would neutralize the most fundamental check on executive power, the recognition and implementation of election results. Nor can we sanction his apparent contention that the executive has carte blanche to violate the rights of individual citizens to vote and have their votes count. This is completely fine with the Republican Party. What these three judges just said should be a complete violation of, of his constitutional oath. And the law is completely fine with, with the Republican base 
with Republican voters and the Republican electeds will not step in and say what the judges, judges have said. He is literally running on a campaign that what he did was fine, backed by the entire Republican establishment who, even when they know better and don't agree, won't say it out loud. And the voters think it's great. And so this, this is a reminder, you guys, that, that no matter what the Supreme Court says or federal peers, appeals courts say, the, the voters this year are, are going to tell us that it's illegitimate, that it's unacceptable, the voters in, in the Republican Party. And I just don't know if America has like really swallowed this, that there's going to be no institution that is legitimate anymore. The, the courts is the last final frontier. We saw them in November and December of 2020 and January of 21 tell us that, well, maybe Rudy didn't do a good job, you know, and he didn't find the good evidence. And that's why 60 courts decided against the, the, the fake coup plot. But they're going to say that this is unacceptable. They won't take note. So when it goes to the Supreme Court, this is going to be a massive event. And Hugh Hewitt is out saying this morning that he would like the Supreme Court to take it. He guesses there are the four votes to do so. But he would really like the Supreme Court to actually freeze all of the prosecutions uh, until after November 5. So he thinks that the country's electoral process would be best served if SCOTUS put all the Trump prosecutions on ice until post-voting. He says... Um, under, under what principle? He says that he, they should accept cert and then punt it to the next session, not decide it by this June. Put it off until the next, until the next docket. I mean, this is so fucking crazy. I, I, I just can't believe, but this is like the little hint, the window into the reaction and the response that the Supreme Court is going to face, whether they deny cert or they consider it themselves. They will be under pressure to A, punch holes in the denial of immunity and say, well, you could sort of have it this way and you could maybe on Tuesday have it that way. Or they're going to be or they're going to be under pressure to take it and punt it until 25. Anyway, I'm alarmed. God help us. Yeah, I don't have anything to add to how alarmed you are. Um, I think that's well put and and actually dark. I hadn't even gotten to that dark of a place about it, A.B. So you're just, I'm, I'm kind of just letting that marinate in my brain right now. Uh, I have a practical addition, which is I just don't like. The the time the calendar is not here for this right now. Right, you know I just like I was looking at uh, all articles and I know that there are positive you know there are ways to spin it that's like maybe you know this, maybe this is a big risk for Trump maybe it ends up meaning that sentencing is in mid October maybe maybe all right so there's not a zero percent chance for that but I, I just think that. Uh, you know, if you have a seven-day delay, and then if they accept cert, and then it's twenty-eight days, I, and then you start the trial, I, like we're getting to convention time really quick, and it's just like, are these judges really going to do this after the convention? I know that there's some, you know, lawyers that'll argue that, well, sure, yeah, you can. I mean, um, but I think that it gets really ugly at that point. Like we really needed the timeline to be a year earlier than it is. Yeah. You know, I uh, our, our friend Ian Basson has a piece up at Lawfare today where he is talking about how the Supreme Court is not if they don't enforce the 14th Amendment, then why should we think that they would enforce the 22nd Amendment? But he he gets there by positing that what happens if we get to the Democratic Convention in August 
and Joe Biden pulls the plug on his campaign. And by acclamation, the, the Democratic Party says, well, we're going to nominate Barack Obama because he's the popular guy who can bring everybody together. And, that w- and here, here, in fact, is what we can do to deny Trump a third term. We have Obama try to seek a third term first because we know the Supreme Court will say no to that. And so if the Supreme Court is asked about, does Donald Trump get a third term? Well, who knows what they'll say? But we know that if they ask are asked about Obama, we'll get a 9-0 decision saying, of course, Obama couldn't possibly get <laughs> a third is gr- That is a great case. And that should have been in the bulwark, not in Lawfare, Ian. Though Lawfare is getting great PR right now because it's like the Republicans' new favorite word. Have you noticed this? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like uh, Mike Johnson and Steve Bannon. It's like whenever you turn on any Republican media, they're like, it's lawfare targeting Donald Trump. Well, these two, they don't even know what it means, but uh, it's been great. Good PR for our friend Ben Wittes at all. All right. Let's, uh, let's finish with something really depressing. All right. Uh, my old friend Tucker Carlson is in Moscow and has interviewed Vladimir Putin. I almost never talk about Tucker because, like, it's weird for me. And uh, I don't know. Do you guys have thoughts about it? I want your thought. I'm taking it over. I'm turning it back on you. You go first. I want to hear what you have to say about about this. So we don't don't know what the interview was. We have a four-minute, 36-second video from Tucker explaining why he did it. And the reason he gives is that— The reason he gives is that the media made him do it. The biased liberal mainstream media made him do it because no Western media reporter has even bothered, he says, to ask Vladimir Putin what he thinks about this since the invasion of Ukraine. And uh, I mean, A, it's not true. The Western media has asked Putin all the time. In fact, we know we know it's not true because a a bunch of reporters have come out and said yes of course we put in request to interview putin and we've been denied and the kremlin press office says actually tucker has made a mistake in this uh we have been asked by many times to to do that but the it's it's much worse than that there's a reporter named evan gershkovich who uh has been from the wall street journal who has been in jail in lafortovo the the notorious kgb prison in Moscow for since March of 2023, almost entirely in solitary confinement for reporting on the Kremlin. People try to report all the time and Vladimir Putin puts them in jail, right? This is, this is what he, he does. And so the, the, the perversion in coming across and, and look, maybe Tucker is going to do a real hard hitting interview with Mm. him. I don't know. I think probably not though. So I will provisionally say to sit down with this guy and try to help cover for him Walter Durante style and to then excuse to then say because the media made me do it when the this monster spends all of his time that he's not kidnapping children and murdering innocent civilians uh, oppressing the media is offensive isn't the right word. I don't know what the right word is. But I'll say this, this isn't, this isn't like, uh, oh, he supports Donald Trump and uh, even you know, and Donald Trump is an authoritarian and he's trying Vladimir Putin has forcibly kidnapped more than 20,000 Ukrainian children and relocated them to the Russian interior, taken more than 20,000 children from their families and moved them into the Russian interior. And he's being treated like a just a, a guy you'd interview on your Twitter show, like anything else. 
I just, I just don't, I don't know what to say about that. I don't know a way to see that, which isn't evil. I don't know. What do you guys got? Well, I'm looking forward to the interview and Tucker's preview used the word invasion. He, I mean, he used the word invade. He said, we don't know why we haven't, he hasn't been asked why he invaded or whatever. So he's going to ask him that. But Tucker's been trying to interview Putin since before he invaded Ukraine. And Tucker is a close friend of Donald Trump's and advisors of Donald Trump's. It makes me very uncomfortable that he's going over to give this interview to Putin before Putin's election. And he knew when he said that, that other people are trying to interview Putin all the time. And he knows that people who try to do real reporting on Putin and his motives for invading Ukraine get thrown out of windows. I mean, Tucker's a smart guy. He is my friend, just like he's JVL's friend. How, how are we gonna describe this JVL? Like, friend, I mean, I it's just very distress, very distressing. Um, and I, I, again, really hope that I'm gonna watch this unedited video of him asking the questions that should be asked. But we'll see. Yeah, well, sometimes people you were once friends with end up doing very bad and evil things. I mean, you know, rapists and mass murderers also had friends beforehand. They're not all just psychopaths. You know, it's not, it's not as if they're, that uh, human nature is not like that. People are not just two-dimensional. And uh, what Tucker is doing right now is very evil, and I don't have a personal relationship with him, so I don't. I don't feel at all conflicted about that. To me, what is more um, alarming is like everybody's okay with it. I, not everybody, not like Democrats, but like you know, there's a small handful of people um, on the right who are criticizing him. There are some, you know, you see some on on, but like, what does Paul G. Go said? The <laughs> the people. No, I'm serious about this. Like the I people at the Wall Street Journal who yeah. whose colleague is in jail. What do they have to say? We're about waiting. Anything? We're waiting. Or are they just Borg like, you know, turning their toe in the dirt and, you know, I can't, can't really say anything about that delicate situation with Fox. And Even if some of them say something, it's like, I, I guess I was speaking more about at the broadest level, his fans, Donald Trump's fans, millions upon mil- millions of people are just kind of like, yeah, I'm like, just kind of going along. Like, they're like, yeah, that makes, you know, t- for every person that is watching that Tucker video of him explaining why he's doing it and being like, are you insane? Evan Gershkowitz is in prison. Uh, Valerie Putin is a mass murderer. Uh, uh, people are trying to spell the truth out of him. There, there are another, there's another maybe almost equal group of people that are nodding and going, yeah, you're right. People aren't telling both sides of this story. The, uh, the deep state and the elites really are, have been spinning this for Zelensky. And and there there was there always was going to be you know a small minority of people who whatever you know do apologia for any awful thing, but the scale of it is the is the real alarming thing to me. I also want to say that remember how many Americans are getting their information from social media only and are hoovering a lot of just you know poison misinformation disinformation. And they're not checking their facts and they actually are not going to hear, they're, they're not going to have have read a lot of Zelensky interviews before they stumble upon Tucker's reach is so massive. I mean, 
my kids' friends, you know, my son's friends think Tucker is the truth teller. I mean, he, you know, he has a massive and growing following of people who will be influenced by the interview and then what Tucker says about it afterwards, um, who are not sitting around doing their research on Vladimir Putin. Yeah, I um, just... Can I just say on that point, you're right, A.B., people are getting a lot of bad information. The COVID situation, it's like we have a novel virus. There's a lot – like people are trying to learn on the fly. The people who are trying to do their best did some – made some mistakes at the start. Right? Like, like, so there's – I'm open to this right idea that people are getting bad information and they're, and, and they're susceptible to this. Like Vladimir Putin just invaded a country and started bombing it. Right. It's not it's not as if there was like some kerfuffle. Like they didn't even do the whole like remember when we were those at the beginning where it was like, oh, Putin's gonna do a false flag and there's gonna be right. some bomb in Moscow right. and he's gonna pretend like it's the Ukrainians. Like they didn't even do that. Like like Russia just invaded another country and started bombing people and kidnapping the children and, and raising cities. And so it's like what what research do you need to do to do your own research crowd? <laughs> like this is a thing that in. happened. One man in, in this war. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, you guys. Just remember, there are a lot of um, young people who have been told that Biden starts proxy wars and do not remember what happened on February 24th of 2022. Well, that's great. God help us. That's just good stuff. Well, that was another great episode. I can imagine <laughs> that if you are in the D.C. area on February 23rd, 24th, or 25th, you would want to come in and hang out with the three of us. I'm actually time. not going to be there. No worries. Oh, I'm going to be, uh, be watching the death of Nikki in South Carolina. The rest of the boy crew will be there. I'm going to miss it. I love Heath. I love my people at Principles First. And I encourage people to go. It will be more uplifting. And, you know, I'm going to do my I'm – I'm getting will into it? Deep Grob this weekend. So I, I think I, there's a lot of there are a lot of ways, as you pointed out, JVL. There's a lot of ways to enrich your life. You know, there are good books out there. Should be a real good football game this weekend. Maybe Travis and Taylor will get engaged at the end of the game. Maybe the Chiefs win and and we'll have Tay Trav. Uh, and and you know, uh, there's a lot of interesting gambling you can do on like kind of what top Taylor is going to wear and whether he proposes and that's. That's good. We're going to have joy-filled parades that I can, we can attend with our families this weekend. You know, so there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in life, spiritual fulfillment. <laughs> I wish I had known that you were in pre-grow with, and that I I really should have worn some beads, um, just to to feel just just to be. I wish I was like in purple beads while I said all this depressing. <laughs> It's a little contrast between the sartorial and the verbal. Yeah, I, uh, I think you know, I'm the, wear them next the time. I love and I love deep bra. Like I've learned something new today, and deep bra is like I love that so much. That's going to actually lighten up the rest of my week. Great, it should. Ab, thanks for sitting in for Sarah and keeping her seat warm. Always, uh, guys. Next week, Tim takes over the Bulwark's flagship podcast. It's going to be amazing. This podcast, not going anywhere. Tim's going to be sitting here. He's got to pull double duty on Wednesdays. Double headers every Wednesday for him. Don't worry. I got Tim's this. Not going anywhere. I got this. I'm going to let the interviewees take the weight on Wednesdays. You know, I'm going to yeah, dial right. it back, and I'm going to save all my, all my good rants for you guys. All right, everybody. We'll catch you next week. Bye.